Well, thank you for the welcome. Uh, it's a great privilege to be able to speak uh, to you today, and uh, thank you uh, for that. Well, um, Christmas is just around the corner, not that you need reminding, um, but with Christmas just around the corner, I want to start this talk by asking you a question. What do you want for Christmas? Now, some of you will know the answer to that question straight away, uh, but others of you uh, won't have a clue. Perhaps you've been so busy thinking about what you're going to buy for other people that you haven't stopped to think about what you want for yourself. But stop for a moment. Have a think. You could have anything. What do you want for Christmas? I've got friends who recently moved to London, and what they want most is a fulfilling job. They want to do something that's significant. They want to prove themselves. I've got other friends who what they want most is the money to be able to afford their own home at an increasingly difficult time. My sister just gave birth to her first child on the 1st of December, and what her husband and her want most is simply some sleep over Christmas. <laughs> Others of you in the room may just want your health to improve, or you may just want to be able to spend time with family over Christmas without yet another argument. I wonder, what do you want for Christmas? The thing with Christmas presents is what you want and what you get can sometimes be very different. I remember last year I had high hopes for a brand new jumper, some aftershave, and uh, I was left a little bit gutted when my mum gave me a Superman onesie for Christmas. <laughs> Why she got it, I don't know, um, but she got me a Superman onesie. And I think we all probably know that uh, feeling when someone gives you a gift, and maybe you're slightly disappointed, but you've got to you know, save face and say thank you and, and all that. But that's what it was like for me last Christmas. Sorry, Mum, by the way, if you're listening. But of course, what you want and what you get sometimes aren't different. Sometimes you do get what you want. But there are other times when you're given something and you don't quite appreciate the value of the gift. At first glance, it may feel like you don't want it, but actually you just haven't realized its proper value. I read recently about a man who bought a box full of items at a car boot sale. One of the items in the box was a postcard-sized painting, um, which was put in a photo frame. The man didn't really know what to do with it, so he just put it in a drawer in his house. Fast forward 10 years, he was moving out of his home when his son saw the painting, and he wanted to look into the painting story and find out who painted this painting. The man's son ended up finding out that the painting was worth a lot of money. And in 2012, it was bought at an auction for £22.4 million. Amazing. Amazing, isn't it? The guy became a millionaire overnight. I reckon some of you now are thinking, I need to get home and check that painting in my room. <laughs> Don't worry, it'll still be there when you get home, all right? The point is, the man didn't know the value of what he had until his son looked into it. Up until that point, the painting was just left in a drawer. The truth is that at Christmas, we've been given something of immense value. What we've been given is more valuable than 22.4 million, but we often miss the value of the gift. In fact, the gift is often put in the bottom drawer, never to be looked at. Its value downplayed, dismissed, forgotten about. But if we do that, we miss out on so, so much. God has given us a gift, and his gift 
is a game changer. His gift changes human history. His gift offers things nothing else can. His gift changes lives. So just like the man's son, let's look into the value of the gift that God has given to us at Christmas. Is that all right? We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7, if you've got a Bible. If you haven't got a Bible, the verses will come up on the screen. But we're going to look firstly at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, and we're going to see that God's gift offers hope. It says this in verse 2, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Last week, uh, Malcolm opened up this Christmas series by talking about the huge gap that existed between us and God. Malcolm talked about how our sin separates us from God. He likened it to the huge Berlin Wall that separated East and West Germany for nearly 30 years. No one could break down the barrier. No one could cross sides. It separated the people. And in the same way, our sin, our evil motives, our thoughts, our actions, our words have separated us from a holy God. Malcolm said that we need to understand the bad news before we can truly appreciate the good news. The bad news is that our sin separates us from God. And this only leads to one place. That place is death and an eternity spent away from God, away from his closeness and love. But it's funny, isn't it? In our culture, no one likes to talk about death, even though it's a shadow that hangs over all of us. In a recent survey, the Dying Matters Coalition found that 80% of people do not discuss death, even with loved ones, because they believe that it makes people feel uncomfortable. It makes us feel uncomfortable to talk about these things, doesn't it? And yet, it's one of the very few certainties in life that we all face, whether we like it or not. But what we need is something that takes away the darkness of death. We need something that takes away the sting of death, something that gives us hope. Isn't that what we need? We need a great light that takes away the darkness of death. Whilst all around us, people are trying to rid Christmas of its proper meaning and take God completely out of the picture, The truth is that at Christmas, we remember the real meaning of Christmas. We remember that God has given us a great gift that deals with the darkness of death by providing a great light. Believe me, Christmas is about a great light that brings great hope. About 10 years ago, I was uh, 15 or 16, and I was traveling by car um, back from a camp called New Day. Many of you in the room will know about New Day. We take our young people there every year. And um, on this occasion, me and my brother and another friend of mine decided to travel back by car. We didn't come back on the coach like everyone else. We decided to leave early and head home. After a very tiresome week, this was a bad decision. My brother uh, was driving. We left around 12, 1 o'clock, and he started to fall asleep at the wheel. No one else in the car could drive, and so we couldn't take it in turns, and my brother was keen to keep going. We started driving into Brighton, which was my home city at the time, at four o'clock in the morning when it happened. My brother fell asleep at the wheel. We hit a lamppost, we span, we hit three parked cars, and eventually came to a halt. Blood was literally pouring down my face. 
I was literally just able to open one eye, and all I could see was darkness, the darkness of being there early in the morning. In that moment, I was scared. I was frightened. What had happened? What had happened to my brother? What had happened to my friend Tom? Were they even still alive? Minutes passed, and then just being able to see through one eye, I was given hope. I saw lights, lights from an ambulance that gave me hope, hope that everything was going to be okay, hope that we were going to be rescued, hope that we would survive. The good news is we did survive. Um, I've only got a, a slight scar on my forehead. If you get close enough, you can see it. But the point is that the light gave me hope, hope that things would be okay. The context of the verses we are looking at in Isaiah 9 is one of darkness. We're in 700 BC, and God's people, the Israelites, have turned their backs on God, and they're living for themselves rather than for God. Also, we know that the kingdom of Israel has been divided. Israel uh, is in the north, Judah is in the south, and Isaiah is a prophet that comes to preach to the southern kingdom of Judah. And Judah at this moment is very scared. The Assyrians who dominated the Middle East from the 9th to the 7th century are ready and threatening to take over the northern kingdom of Israel and then the southern kingdom of Judah. God's people are quite literally at war. And Isaiah comes to preach to them. You've turned your back on God and now you're about to be annihilated by the Assyrians. These people are literally living in the land of the shadow of death. Their lives could be taken from them at any moment. But Isaiah says to these people, these frightened, scared people, that you've seen a great light. On these people, a light has dawned. These people are given hope. Like me, seeing the lights of the ambulance, these people have been given a great light, which gives them great hope. When I talk about people walking in darkness, I'm sure all of us can relate to that. Darkness in the Bible is a place where God is absent. Closeness with him is lost. These people are walking in darkness because they are walking away from God. They're doing their own thing. And I'm sure every single one of us here can relate to that. Every single one of us has felt that darkness, that closeness being lost, that gap between us and God. Some of us may even feel that right now. But the truth is that God has never been completely absent in our lives, even if it may feel like that. The gift that God has given us is a great light that brings great hope. Secondly, we're going to have a look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 3 to 5, and we're going to see that God's gift offers joy. Let me read. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. When an enemy or an oppressor is defeated, despair quickly turns to joy. When South Africa buried apartheid with its first all-race election in 1994, the Reverend Desmond Tutu danced for joy as he cast his vote. He called it a mountaintop experience. Apartheid was an evil oppressor in South Africa, but when it was abolished, people's despair turned to joy. Isaiah here points forward to a time when God's people will be delivered from their oppressor and they're going to rejoice. They're going to throw a party. 
as we've been talking about, their oppressor and our oppressor is death. We can't escape it. It's all around us. People are afraid. We're afraid of our own safety, our own national security, our own well-being. Whether you agree with it or not, isn't that why the government has started bombing Syria? We worry about our national security, our own safety. With all that's going on in the world, you know it and I know it. People are afraid of what's going to happen. Consider this past week where a man got stabbed at Leytonstone Station. Consider that every day on the news we're getting told that a terrorist attack could happen at any moment. People are scared. Scared to go on holiday even. Scared to travel. Just like the people that Isaiah is speaking to. We can be afraid. But in these verses, there's comfort for all of us. Isaiah writes that God will increase the people's joy. God's gift brings joy because our oppressor has been defeated. The yoke that burdens us has been shattered. There'll be no more despair. In fact, Isaiah says that there'll be no more use for war clothes. He says that they'll be burnt, they'll be done away with, no longer needed. Their despair has turned to joy. Their oppressor has been defeated. But how is this? How does God's gift turn darkness into light? How does God's gift turn despair into joy? How does this happen? The answer is in Isaiah 9, verse 6. We're going to see that God's gift offers peace from an unlikely place. Let me read. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Isn't this incredible? We're just talking about death, and the answer is a baby. The answer is a baby. That's like me saying, there's a war going on in Syria, but don't worry, I know of a pregnant lady in Manchester. It's like that. Isn't that ludicrous? How does a baby give us joy? The answer is that we've got to look beyond the baby. We've got to look beyond the baby in a manger and see who this baby really is. If we don't look just beyond the baby, Christmas just becomes about having a good time, sharing presents, having a laugh, which I'm not opposed to. That's all great. I love all that. But if we don't see beyond the baby, we miss the gift. We miss something of immense value. Do you know the baby is worth more than 22.4 million? Do you know that? He's worth more than any amount of money in the world. Have you seen who this baby is? Isaiah tells us who this baby is. Let's have a read. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. Isaiah is writing 700 years before the birth of Jesus, but he's talking about Jesus. Why is that? Because no one has ever been called these names apart from Jesus. He's the one who is counselor, God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and the king in line of David's throne. But let's stop for a moment. Let's have a think about this. I reckon there'll be some people in the room that have got a problem with these verses. It tells us that Jesus, this baby, is the prince of peace. It tells us that the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. But I know some of you here will say, well, look at the world. Do we see peace? What about Syria? 
What about Iraq? Do we see peace? Come on. How can you say that Jesus is the Prince of Peace with all this going on? Think about Paris. How can you say that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? Is this really true? What is going on in the world is truly ugly, isn't it? And these verses do not say that in this life there will be nothing but peace and no conflict. What it does say is that there won't be an end to the increase of his government and peace. So you might ask, why at times and in certain places is there a lack of peace? Now, although that's a hard question to answer in some ways, we know that the Bible is clear that the lack of peace is because of us and not because of God. Actually, we live without peace because we live without God. The first couple of chapters in Isaiah spell it out for us. The people are in conflict, they're in trouble, they're fighting, they're in disgrace because they've turned their back on God and are doing their own thing. And this is what happens when we make up the rules and we live as if God didn't exist and we do what we want. When Jesus is left to the bottom drawer of our lives, when he's relegated to the back pockets, never looked at, never given any time, how can we expect to live with peace when he is the very prince of peace? Now, I know that this isn't a fun, light-hearted Christmas message. It's not something that you might write on a Christmas card. But, but this is the truth of Christmas. At Christmas, we're reminded that God confronts the ugliness of our world and gives us hope that we can have peace with him and peace with others. Firstly, though, we need to deal with our peace with God. And that's exactly why Jesus came close to us. We read in Romans, a book in the New Testament, Verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Jesus came as the Prince of Peace to provide a way for us to have peace with God and peace with others. And that's through faith in him. Why is there a lack of peace in the world? Because people live without God. How can there be more peace? by people living with God and living under his rule. Why is that? You ask, why is that? Because Jesus taught his followers to love their neighbors like themselves. He taught them to turn the other cheek. He taught them to go the extra mile. He taught them to mourn with those who mourn, to look after the fatherless, to care for the widow. He even taught them to pray for those who persecute you. Not only did he do this, but he lived it out. On the cross, where he is being murdered, where he has taken upon himself the sin and the brokenness of the whole world, he prays for his enemies. He prays, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they do. Jesus lived it out. And notice that at the cross, God comes close to us. He comes close all our darkness, all our ugliness, all our dirtiness, our guilt, our shame, our wrongdoing, all of that stuff gets thrown on Jesus. And he takes the punishment that we deserve. God comes close to us in Jesus. All our darkness is thrown on him so that we can draw close to God. His holiness, his mightiness, we can have peace with him because of Jesus coming close. And for anyone who trusts in him, he gives the Holy Spirit, which enables us to follow him and his teaching. So if you want to see more peace in this world, 
We want to see that, don't we? Then the answer is to follow this baby, to follow this King Jesus. This baby brings us peace with God and peace with others. One of my heroes uh, is Martin Luther King. He is once uh, quoted as saying this, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Jesus came closer to us to begin the process of completely dispelling the evil and darkness in this world with his light. And those of us who are Christians today, we have the responsibility to follow Jesus and increase peace on earth. At King's Church, we do this in a small way by doing the Bid Red Red Box project, King's Christmas Trees, the feast on a Wednesday. We try and play our part to help those at a disadvantage in our community and increase peace. But all of us have the responsibility in our own personal lives to increase peace amongst friends, amongst family, amongst the community. Because just as Jesus said he is the light of the world, he said that we are the light of the world and light will overcome darkness. Lastly, God's gift offers eternity. Let me read from Isaiah 9, verse 7. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let me tell you a story about Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. They were an amazing couple. They were missionaries committed to taking the good news of Jesus to the uttermost parts of the world. They moved to Ecuador in 1956, hoping to reach a tribe that had never had contact with the outside world. They knew it would be dangerous, so they did all they could to start building relationships with the people of the tribe. But their efforts must not have been very convincing. One day, whilst Jim Elliot was with four other guys in a remote jungle, the tribal warriors stormed out on an ambush. They came to them in ambush and they speared all five of them. Jim, sorry, no one survived. Jim Elliot lost his life trying to share the good news of Jesus with the men that ended up killing him. Before he died, Jim Elliot was famously said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. People would have called him a fool. They would have said, Jim, you're a fool. Why are you going out to Ecuador? You're going to lose your life. You're going to die. You're a fool for doing that. Jim's response was no. He is no fool who knows that there is an eternity beyond this life. In other words, he says, there is no, he is no fool who gives everything he has knowing he can't keep it in order to gain what he cannot lose, an eternity in Jesus' kingdom, with Jesus ruling and reigning from his throne in complete justice and righteousness. Incidentally, Elizabeth, his wife, who was suddenly a widow, instead of giving up in anger and despair, which she could have done, she ended up moving and lived amongst the tribe again. Incredible. She learned their language. She translated the whole New Testament for them and led many of them to Christ. 
including some of them that murdered her husband. Isn't that phenomenal? What unbelievable faith. And Elizabeth Elliot was later quoted as saying this. Beautiful words, just brilliant. Where does your security lie? Is God your refuge, your hiding place, your stronghold, your shepherd, your counselor, your friend, your redeemer, your savior, your guide? If he is, you don't need to search any further for security. This couple knew God's gift. Death stared them right in the face the whole time they were in Ecuador, but they knew God's gift. They knew the counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. They knew that Jesus is king, that he's seated on a throne, and that anyone who trusts in him will be with him for eternity. And they lived it out. They knew God's gift of eternity, his guaranteed gift of eternity. And that is why they could continue to live life in such tragic circumstances. They had their eyes and their hope fixed on eternity. And so I wonder, for us today, I don't know if you're afraid. I don't know whether you haven't got peace at the moment. Maybe you're frightened. Can I encourage you, just like Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, to have your hope and your eyes fixed on eternity, knowing that Jesus is king and that you'll be with him for eternity if you trust in him. That is why God's gift is worth more than 22.4 million. Okay? That's why it's so valuable, and it's on offer for anyone here. As I finish, I don't know what you want for Christmas. I don't know whether you want lots of chocolate. I don't know whether you just want to better spend the time with family and friends without any conflict. Maybe you just want your own property. Maybe you want your finances to be better. Maybe you want greater security. Maybe you just want an end to the war with ISIS. I don't know. And they're all great things to wish for and want. But do you know, do you know that the greatest gift that you can ever receive is God's gift of Jesus Christ? Do you know that? At previous Christmas times, you may not have fully appreciated just how valuable this gift is. You may not have appreciated just how close Jesus is. Just like the man with a postcard-sized painting. Maybe you've just left Jesus in a drawer somewhere. But hopefully today, you can see that God's gift is worth it. God's gift turns darkness into light. Fear into hope. Despair into joy. Conflict into peace. And death into eternity. All of us know what it's like, though, to reject God's gift and to continue to live in darkness. All of us know what it's like to fall for the lie of the world. Doesn't the world tell you that it's better to stay in darkness than come to the light? Doesn't that, isn't that what the world tells us? That the darkness is better than the light? Well, that is a complete lie. And what all of us need to do is turn away from darkness, from the brokenness and ugliness of the world, and come to Jesus, the light of the world. So can I ask you, have you committed your life to following this King Jesus? Whether you're doing that for the first time or the hundredth time, we're all going to have a chance in a moment to come back to this king. It's only then, when we come back to him, will we truly know the benefits of God coming closer to us.